Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I got an entrepreneur and technologist. He's a guy that several of my best friends that are really into this health optimization have recommended me to interview because he is the guy that knows something about sleep tracking. He is a vice president in Aura, Aura Rings, the sleep tracker that everyone is talking about. If you listen to Ben Greenfield or Dave Asprey, the one that everyone is talking about being the best sensor. So that's why I was super intrigued. He's also really cool and doing a lot of active stuff. He used to run all the marathons and now he does a lot of other active stuff. So uh, a great pleasure to have uh, Chuck Hassett in with me today. Welcome to be here. So Chuck, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get into being an expert on, uh, on variable devices and the sleep tracking and running so long uh, distances? Well, yes, my actual career has nothing to do with wearables, but along the way, I got interested in running long distances. And so I was always trying to find like the best tool so that I could get the most out of my body as far as races, especially given that I started late in life. I didn't start in my teens or 20s like a lot of the guys do now. So I was fortunate enough being in New England that a lot of some of the earlier technology came out of like Harvard, MIT. And so, for instance, I became a beta tester for uh, Zio, which is one of the first sleep trackers. Great, great device, but way ahead of the time. The form factor wasn't perfect. So we know that they, they didn't survive. <laughs> also, through some other startups and people I met in the early days of the Internet, I became a tester for the very first Garmin Forerunners, one of the startup companies that I was helping load GPS data. So, you know, they were looking to find a way to track GPS data on the web. They got Garmin's attention and said, hey, why don't you make a wrist-based GPS device? And Garmin said, sure. So they sent us a bunch of their first Forerunners, and we started testing them. And it was really cool. Nobody had ever use a GPS on the wrist that, you know, test running or cycling or whatever. And because of that, I then got the attention of other companies, other GPS wearables for running, and then, you know, kept looking for like the perfect device that would combine what I believe was the best doping mechanism, which was sleep, mm -hmm. increased performance. And lo and behold, I got introduced to a fellow who had come up with a wrist-based device that did just that. And they combine sleep, recovery, and movement during the day. And as I was testing that device, I saw on Kickstarter that this new company called Aura had a ring that supposedly did the same thing. I didn't believe they could pull it off. I tracked down one of the founders and the CEO at the time, and he agreed to jump on a Skype call. We had a great chat. He convinced me that it was the real deal. They could pull it off. So I ordered an Aura ring off Kickstarter, like Ben Greenfield did and others. The first ring was, if anybody hasn't seen it, I wish I still had one here. It was about the size of a Super Bowl ring. It was a beautiful ring, but big. And I started using that, and I loved it. I mean, it did a great job of everything I wanted it to do. And so that's kind of how I got here. I ended up starting with Aura in the fall of 2016. Cool. So. Side question, how do you become a test runner? I'm guessing well, think, a lot of the listeners would love to be a chess runner, so testing yeah, some well, of this I, new key out. Yeah, so I guess I've always been a curious person and very interested in technology, both in my main career, beginning of the internet. And then, you know, I'm not bashful. So if I hear about a new technology, uh, you can usually track down, you know, one of the executives or, you know, the CEO, and I'll drop them an email and say, hey, I'm interested in your product. I'd like to test it. And a lot of times they'll say, sure, you know, tell them what your background is and what, you know, that you're a hypercritical person that will give them good feedback. Yeah. And yeah. So, and even though I work for Aura, there have been some other wearable companies that have been more than willing to send me their devices in some cases overlap with Aura, you know, they're sleep trackers, but they still want my feedback. That's pretty cool. That's noted. 
It's fun to test new products. I'm going to be right. testing something. I don't remember the name, but that's going to be put in my room as well. That's supposed to do something for EMF. So oh, okay. uh, but that's another talk. So just uh, the ones actually watching the YouTube video. So on the Oura Ring is, is this little device here. Yes. Um, about the same? size of a men's wedding band. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it that it does? And what is it that sleep trackers does in general? Well, I mean, most people are familiar with, or maybe they aren't, but a lot of people are familiar with uh, sleep studies. Mm. You know, when your you know, primary doctor suspects you have issues with your sleep and they send you to a sleep study, they used to be done at a clinic. You would show up in the afternoon, they'd check you in, they put you in a small room in a bed, hook up a ton of wires to you, you know, stuck to your hair, above your eyebrows, on your cheeks, on your chin, pulled socks on your finger, all these wires running to a little box. And then they tell you to sleep it while somebody's watching you all night long to get visual on what's happening while you're sleeping. Is someone watching like in the room? Uh, yes. Uh, like awake all night or like through yes. window? Or? Yeah, the sleep technicians stay up all night, which is not a good career to be in. And no. I've actually met a few of them at sleep conferences and most of them look like they almost like they have Parkinson's because they've disrupted their circadian rhythms so badly, like a shift worker. Mm. It's not a good career to be in. No. So anyway, yeah, that's the way it used to be done. Most of the sleep studies now are done in home. They still have all the wires hooked up to you. And then they send you to your house to, you know, to sleep. And, you know, heaven forbid, you've got a partner that shares a bed with all these wires and lights and stuff. But anyway... That's what people are familiar with. There are lots and lots of wearables now and solutions, whether they're wrist-based, the aura ring on your finger, there are units you can put on your head, like Sleep Shepherd or Dream. There are bed-based solutions like 8Sleep. And EMF just like bed. the ones you put on your head, that's an EEG measurement for like the brain waves, right? Right. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. So there are lots of solutions for that. Now, a lot of people think of sleep studies as sort of the gold standard. Or, you know, you should compare all wearables to that. And you, and you should. I mean, that really is the best solution. The problem is it is far from perfect. They've proven time and time again that if you have two of these technicians that stay up all night watching you sleep, take the same data from the same person and score it, they usually only agree about 82% of the time on the sleep stages, like what they are, REM versus deep versus light. So keep that in mind. Let me, I may go down some rabbit holes here. So it's perfectly fine. So one thing about sleep studies. So, you know, sleep doctor that does a sleep study, it's not the same thing as sleep research. And a lot of the health professionals will make these bold comments about how you need, I think it's like 20% of your sleep needs to be deep sleep. What people need to understand is from a sleep research standpoint, there is no demarcation between deep and light sleep. From a sleep research standpoint, it's really REM or not REM. And, you know, 50 plus years ago... And REM, a bunch of, just a word uh, on that. REM is rapid eye movement. And that's why they put sensors up here, one of the reasons. Yeah. Because when Over you're REM eyes. sleep, quite often your you know, forehead will, you know, because your eyes are shut, hopefully your you know your eyebrows will go up and down and stuff and that's you know the twitching effect and that's when we're dreaming and the that's rest the of our state. body is paralyzed right right and so that is known for uh you know the best understanding from a science standpoint research is that's when memory reconsolidation occurs just during REM sleep and so it's important to get REM sleep and also REM sleep tends to be more prevalent in the morning hours as opposed to the early part of sleep. So anyway, so about 50 plus years ago, here in the US, the National Science Foundation, I believe was the group, the sleep doctors wanted non-REM sleep broken up further. And it's part of a standardization movement. And so they define deep sleep as any 30 second period, they're known as epics. So they break your whole night's sleep into 30-second epics. And that's how the data is recorded at that resolution. They said for any non-REM sleep that has at least 20% shortwave activity, that we'll call deep sleep. And that was totally arbitrary, the 
Why wasn't it 25? Why wasn't it 30? There's no research to say what percentage of short wave in that epic is more beneficial. The other thing is, you know, so if you look at that and think about that from a statistical standpoint, it's very likely that a lot of the light sleep has short wave activity, just not 20%. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of years ago, from a research standpoint, we people believed and hypothesized for years that our brain had a similar glymphatic system that our body has. We call it the lymphatic system, right? So they call it the glymphatic system. So in non-REM sleep, that is when certain phases of or levels of deep light sleep, so it's not just deep sleep, that the brain almost shrinks and opens up these gaps that allow this like fluid to circulate to the brain to remove toxins. So the bottom line from this is people should spend less time focusing on how much deep sleep they get, and they should it'd be better for them to focus on the total amount of sleep they get, seven to nine hours for an adult per night, and the regularity. Go to bed and wake up the same time or close to the same time, seven days a week. Quite often, especially younger people, will stay out later on weekends, mm. and that creates what's known as social jet lag. It's the same as jet lag. You wake up, you're almost like intoxicated, even if depending on what you <laughs> drank that night, but your brain just doesn't function well. So seven days a week, same bedtime, same wake-up time. Those two things are the biggest movers of health. If you do that, and also you go to bed according to your circadian rhythm, which or it tells you what your recommended bedtime is, that will ensure that you get the correct amount of sleep that ensures glymphatic drainage, so you're not building up toxins in your brain, and the correct amount of REM sleep. Your body will do that for you. It's not a standard. You're not going to get the same REM or deep sleep every night. It will vary depending on what you did the day before. But your body will take care of it. <laughs> Makes so sense. Is, as long as you behave appropriately and have the right lifestyle. Yeah. I think that is so interesting to hear because when you follow a lot of these expert or most prominent people within the health base, they talk so much about deep sleep. Right. I mean, they're throwing out percentages and there's no science to back that up. No. It's almost like they're making it up. <laughs> and it's stressing a lot of people to focus on. Well, yes. And, and, I, and again, even Aura you know, has content that, you know, talks about the importance of deep sleep. And I mean, I think for any wearable company, there's a lot of marketing pressure to show the detailed sleep stages and to talk about deep sleep as being important because it's become almost like an urban legend Yeah, that you need to chase this. And even, you know, in listening to lots of interviews with Matthew Walker, I mean, he touches on deep sleep, but if you notice, he kind of skirts around it. And he focuses instead on getting the right amount of time, seven to nine hours, in the regularity. Yeah. And he's like one of the top sleep researchers, not a sleep doctor, but a sleep researcher. Yeah. So that's who you should listen to. So uh, how does Oring know what time is the best time to go to bed for you? Uh, because so, that's individual, like the different chronotypes yes. or so on. Right. So and we're doing more work on this over time. But what we do is we look at those, you know, the nights where you get the highest sleep score, yeah. and there are like seven or eight contributors that determine the sleep score in Aura. And so we look at when you get the highest sleep scores, you know, continuously. And so the, like a couple of weeks it allows us to zero in on a window, and that window may change over time, or quite often it changes by the time of year, the seasons, mm. the light dark cycles, because our chronobiology is affected by light and dark. And so in the summer months in the northern hemisphere, your sleep window will change from the, the middle of the winter. Mm. But we that'll change over time and it will, it will adjust for the seasons. But everybody's different. So mine is, I think, 8.30 to 9.15. It's pretty early. Mm. And for me, that works because by 8 o'clock, my brain is starting to you know focus on bed. You know, I can feel that my body is starting prepare my melatonin is more likely you know i'm not testing it but it's starting to rise and and i'm starting to think about bed yeah so, so how does it uh, the urine tracks temperature and some other stuff 
Right. So that most, and that's an interesting too, a differentiation between other wearables. Everybody's, you know, doing a pretty good job of determining when you fall asleep, but we have sort of a unique way of looking at it. We have separate algorithms for determining when you're falling asleep versus what happens while you're sleeping. And I don't think any other company does this. So we look at changes in body temperature. Like most wearables look at lack of motion and changes in heart rate. Hmm. We're able to look at lack of motion, changes in temperature, and, and changes in heart rate. And one thing that happens, you're, as your melatonin starts to rise rapidly, that your body's being signaled, you need to go to bed, your temperature changes at the same time. So we look at that temperature change to say, okay, melatonin is going up. Obviously, there are outliers, people that say, oh, you know, the ring says, I fell asleep and I was reading in bed. Well, the problem there is the person's body is giving them the signal, but they're resisting it. (laughs) They're watching TV or reading in bed. Yeah. You know, so. So that should actually be taken as a sign if you have those measurements that that's when you should go to bed or that your body really needs some more sleep. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's what we're trying to do is. You know, people say, well, you know, by the time I get home from work and I eat dinner, you know, I need the TV to wind down and a glass of wine. Well, that's great and good. But why don't you just try not drinking the wine, not watching the TV and just mm-hmm. go to bed when we tell you to and do that for a month as an experiment. Yeah. It's much better you feel. Yeah, so. makes sense. It's funny how people, I hear a lot of people as well saying like, yeah, I need TV to cool down and so on. We're like, have yeah. you tried to meditate or do some yin yoga right. or something else? You would probably take wind down shower. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take a hot shower. So, so what know. are some of the things to do to improve your sleep? Now that we know that you really shouldn't care that much about deep sleep because right. it's kind of the social construction that we agreed yeah. upon that we said like, this is where the target is and now we call it deep sleep. I think that's super fascinating. My background as well is also in psychology and social constructivism. How we suddenly agree about something and see it as a fact where in reality is something that right. people agreed upon and now we feel it's a fact. So knowing that it, what really matters is getting enough sleep and, uh, and then is getting the mix of REM sleep and yeah. non-REM sleep. Right. And the other, the other thing I should mention is a lot of people, some people focus on this, but it's also, I guess, another component of sleep is looking at how restless you are. Because a lot of people are really restless sleepers. So even if they're in bed, you know, like nine hours, they wake up frazzled and they think, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> what's wrong? I'm getting the sleep that Matthew Walker tells me I should, but I'm I'm waking up exhausted. Yeah. So, you know, all the wearables, including or uh, do a reasonable job of showing when you have restless states. And some people don't believe it. Like I've had users say, well, I sleep soundly. I mean, I don't remember being waking up. And quite often you won't. I said, buy a, like a game camera that can look, you know, in the dark can film. And I've had a few users that have bought them from it, like Amazon. They're pretty cheap. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe how restless a sleep I am. A sleep I am. I, I don't wake up, but I'm just, you know, rolling around all night long. And so they need to focus on something different than your average person. Or though it could be regular sleep hygiene we can talk about that's causing them to be restless. For instance, if you've ever tried to sleep in the middle of the summer in a hot, humid room, you don't sleep very well because you're constantly waking up or turning over because your body is sweating and you're trying to expose the other side of your skin to mm. dry it out kind of thing without even thinking about it. So, I mean, so let's talk about that for a minute. The Like sleep hygiene, I think, you know, this is the easiest things people can do to help their sleep. Having a cool room. I don't know what the numbers would be in Celsius. I should know this, but the U.S. being selfish bastards, <laughs> imperial system. <laughs> I think it's between um, but, 17 degrees to uh, 21 or so. Yeah, I remember. Oh so, yeah, it, about 64 degrees Fahrenheit. So the room should be pretty cool. It should be dark, like no lights. Don't you know? A lot of people have so many electronics now. Their LEDs popping up all over the place. In, as quiet as possible. If you live in a city. I would get a white noise generator or some of the newer stuff they talk about is pink noise. It's a little bit different than white noise. A few words about that. Pink or white? Both. White actually will just sends out frequencies that will basically overlap by staggering common noises and eliminate them. Mm -hmm. Pink noise, I think, adds like another flavor 
of frequencies that have been found to improve sleep quality. So, and uh, would I you still do that if it's totally quiet where you're living, or is it? If you had, you could try it. Like there are a lot of things people try. Like Ben Greenfield talks a lot about, like lavender or pink noise might be a solution. Microdosing melatonin, although I'd be careful with that. You know, there are some other supplements that people are selling online. I don't know how effective they are, but if you have horrible sleep problems, it likely could be based on lifestyle things because it's not just your sleep environment. No. It's what you do the two to three hours before you go to bed. It can also affect your sleep. But how do uh, you alcohol. get the, the pink noise or, uh, or the white uh, there noise? There are devices you can buy to play pink noise, there, and there are also white noise generators. Yeah. Do you know any um, brands or any uh, apps? I, I don't. I haven't looked at those. There, there are also phone apps yeah. that you can put on headphones, but the problem is once you fall asleep and you've got the headphones <laughs> strapped to your head, I guess you pull them off when you wake up the next time. But yeah. anyway, yeah, and along those that lines, other things I have used in the past is binaural tones. Those can actually help relax people and help you sleep. Yeah. But... Prior to even, you know, like the whole environment of, you know, when you're actually committed to going to sleep and what your environment looks like, people should also, you know, can figure this out by doing their own experiments. But, and this is also part of your chronotype and circadian biology is, you know, the timing of your last meal, like when you eat last, should probably be at least two hours before you go to bed. From a circadian biology standpoint, and that people hate this, it probably should be before the sun sets also. Yeah. And then looking at alcohol totally destroys your sleep. <laughs> But if you are going to drink, drink something fairly clean, like you know, good quality wine, and stop that at least two hours before you go to bed so you can metabolize it. Exercise too late in the day, depending on your chronotype, can screw up sleep also. Because all these things, what the common factor is, these elevate your heart rate. And if you go to bed with an elevated heart rate, you're actually not going to have restorative sleep in the first part of your sleep, which is most of the non-REM sleep. And that's something Aura focuses on in the app. It'll show you basically the uh, heart rate curve overnight. And in a perfect world, you want your lowest resting heart rate in the first half of your sleep as opposed to the last half. And why is it that that correlates with good sleep? Because if your heart rate is high... Your body doesn't get into the deepest sleep. Yeah. So not talk about deep sleep as a category, but the deepest sleep. So all that lymphatic drainage and all the cool hormonal things that happen in non-REM sleep, you're going to be in a more lighter plane. So you're not going to get all that, the good stuff. So, you know, again, like light, deep sleep, it's like less, less light sleep, more deeper type sleep, you know, kind of cycles in and out. Yeah. More so in the first half of sleep. So you're going to stay in the more the awake, like right on that line of awake in light sleep. And so you're just not going to get all the, the cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so, But I heard that the two kiwis are good to eat soon before uh, bed. Yeah, and I know, but that's a, yeah, so that's the whole thing is a lot of these things don't work for everybody. Yeah, And that's one of the cool things of like the aura ring and other wearables is you can do your own little experiment of one. So yeah. if somebody tells you something works, try it and see if it works, like whether it's CBD or something else. For me, one thing, you know, somebody mentioned it, and I said, you know, yeah, I'll say I'll try anything. So this one person on some forum said, hey, I do a red light, you know, like an infrared, infrared light on my chest in the morning for 15 minutes and increases my deep sleep. So I tried it, lo and behold. It has the same effect of, as getting first morning sunlight. Yeah. But if it's a rainy day, I'm not going to get that. So I, you know, we sit in front of my sauna space four lamp panel, and lo and behold, my deep sleep went <laughs> skyrocketed. Yeah. So for me, it worked. So this guy was right. It's something he found worked for him, and it works for me. Other people may see nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. I think that's such an important point there. When I talk to you on the on the interview or on the podcast, I always stressing the point about. You need to test it on yourself. Right. So one thing right. is that we have science that says that this works. We still have right. all the outliers. And that's right. such an important thing. So you might be like, but this works, but there are yeah. always outliers. So well, and I'll, I'll, yeah, and I'll tell you real quick about another thing I would not have believed. 
I was trying to find some correlations, just checking all kinds of metrics against some of the aura data. And I found that insulin load, so you combine your carbohydrate and proteins, and they have different weights on them, but you can calculate your insulin load. I found my heart rate and insulin load track exactly. So the higher my insulin load, the higher my resting heart rate at night, as measured by the aura ring. And so if you think about what we just said about screwing with your deep, you know, the deeper sleep during the first mm -hmm. half. So even if you're on a carnivore diet, if you eat a lot of protein or you're really high carb, and especially it's in the later half of the day, your insulin load is up, your heart rate goes up. Yeah. So, and, <laughs> and I posted this on a biohacker forum and a bunch of other people tested it and they had the same result. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the really amazing things about all of these trackers is that we can suddenly start to figure out like testing stuff yourself and right. figure out what works. But I think right. my conversation with you and when we talked the other day really opened my eyes for not focusing so much on deep sleep and REM sleep. I right. found it like it really resonated a lot with me when you explained the definition of how we got to what deep sleep is. Right. So right. I think... It's definitely focusing more on what does the aura ring provide me in regards to my temperature and my resting heart rate and uh, my readiness score. Yeah, and the heart rate variability is another interesting thing to look at is, you know, for instance, if you don't believe me how, you know, do experiments all for the name of science. Try different alcohols, yeah. you know, and stop them two hours before you go to bed. You know, do vodka or scotch or whiskey or a clean wine versus a, a poor wine. And I, I don't drink hard liquor, but I've tried, like, and this was a simple short-term experiment. I ate the same meal at the same time, and then I, I had a bio-organic wine, but it was the house brand. And I found that that house brand wine, probably they were open more, the bottles, so they got air in them. And even though it was bio-organic, my HRV was tanked every night that I did that. So then I switched to a French wine that wasn't bio-organic, but it, it had low alcohol, like 11.5%, which is pretty standard for a lot of French wines, and, and wasn't the house wine. So it probably didn't have as many opens or was treated a little better. And my HRV was like skyrocketing compared to the other wine. Hmm. So you can find interesting correlations on how different foods, which might be inflammatory or drinks, can, will show up in your HRV overnight. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. You can actually see that. What are some other uh, tips or things in regards to sleep? Uh, so we talked about sleep hygiene, dark room, no light, cold temperature, going to bed at the same time. You mentioned chromotypes. Chronotypes, yeah. So the uh, there's a great book, Michael Bruce, The Power of When, I highly recommend that. He breaks it down into four animals. So there's a wolf. Those tend to be what we think of as a people that tend to like to stay up after midnight working, but they don't like to get up in the morning. Yeah. Uh, as he describes it, and if you think of the old, like the old ancient village, they were the night watchmen. They're the ones that made sure the other people that are sleeping aren't going to be harmed by intruders. Then there are the dolphins. They tend to be the insomniacs, light sleepers. And so if a stick broke out in the woods, they would wake up and be the alarm for the village. So they tend to be the more hyperactive type people, that chronotype. Then you have the bears that, like most people, they like to wake up when the sun comes up and go to bed when it sets. And they tend to be, you know, the workers. The lions are the ones that are early risers. And they tended, according to him, to be like CEOs of companies. Mm -hmm. You know, they like to be to work at 530 in the morning and they berate all their employees that get there at eight that they've finished all their email and all stuff, but they tend to fade in the afternoon and they're almost useless after lunch. So they're out playing golf then. Anyway. <laughs> how do, how do we, how do we know that these, like, how do we get the idea about these chromotypes? Just like with deep sleep. Actually, there was a Nobel prize granted a couple of years ago. They found some gene sequences that actually correlate with chronotypes. And so you have the, I forget the actual term, but in your brain, there's like a master clock right in the front side of your brain. Yeah. SCN, whatever that stands for. Can't think right now. Sounds but, like the third eye as well to where you're pointing, right, what the right. yogis are yeah. talking about. And then, so that clock, actually, every cell in your body has clocks. So this is a master clock, and it's keyed off by sun and dark. 
Yeah. Okay. And so that then sets all the clocks in your genes. So they were able to figure out, these scientists got Nobel Prize, how this clocking system works. And so for each person, it's it's not 24 hours. It's something either less than 24 or more than 24. And it's unique to everybody. But according to Michael Bruce, and he's done the, you know, the most research on this, once you understand your chronotype, even if you break it down to the four animals, he has fairly good information in his book as to when you should go to sleep, wake up, exercise, eat, all these things. Cool. I actually yeah. follow his newsletter. He has yeah. some good short newsletters that says something about yeah. yeah the newest research and so on Yeah, in regards to sleep. Yeah, I, I follow him and then Matthew Walker is the other one that, you know, if people haven't read Why We Sleep, it's a great book. Yeah. It'll scare the heck out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it recommended 20 times or so by now. So I need to yeah. read it soon. Yes, yes, yes. And there he's got uh, Joe Rogan has his typical marathon podcast. He's yeah. had uh, Matthew on a few times and those are worth watching. Yeah, I heard one of those. Uh, yeah. I think it was four hours or two hours. Yes. It was quite long, yeah. <laughs> quite yeah. intense, but, but really insightful. I think it was the, the best podcast I heard on sleep oh, so absolutely. far. Yeah, no, he's good. He's good. Yeah, I, just other things. I mean, we've talked a lot is, you know, it's so, you know, you have sleep hygiene. What happens when you commit to go to sleep in your sleeping environment? And then, you know, two or three hours out, be very cognizant of things you're doing, the choices you're making. So two to three hours before you're going to sleep. So it's, you know, eating, exercise, alcohol, watching TV, TVs. And another interesting point is these like blue blockers, yeah. they'll block like, you know, the blue uh, from a TV screen. But they've also found that we have melanopsin in our skin. So if you're, you know, it's the middle of summer, you're sweaty, you don't have a shirt on watching TV, you've got blue blockers on, well, guess what? You're taking in blue light through the melanopsin in your skin, so that could still screw up your sleep. <laughs> so you should be wearing cloth and yeah, a full mask <laughs> and so on. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, yeah, if you, if you sleep in a city, uh, live in a city, there are lots of sleep masks, like Andy Mant is just coming out with one. Blackout curtains are, work pretty well, and you can get some of those that actually will block sound also. Yeah. Quite a bit of sound. Um, I'm fortunate. I live in a rural part of the U.S. where there are no street lights and no Wi-Fi routers emanating through my walls. And <laughs> Perfect sleep environment. That's right. So how many hours of sleep do you get? I try to get seven to eight. Yeah. Uh, most of the time I hit around seven and a half to eight and a half. One of the problems I have right now that's sort of wrecking my sleep is we have altitude tent. You know, you sleep so it strips the oxygen out of the tent so you can train for high mountain races. Yeah. The tent not only lowers the oxygen, which, you know, again, your body doesn't like a whole lot. You have to get acclimated, but also it gets really hot inside. Despite having my wife has a chili pad on her side of the bed, yeah. I have the newer one called the Uller on my side, even with those sometimes. We had to bail at like one in the morning because it's so hot. <laughs> so just for people that don't know what that is. So it's an actual tent that goes over your bed. You can get cubes also. And it, it's, it's not a very thick material, but basically there's a compressor that has a hose that comes into the tent. And it basically has a two-way action. It sucks oxygen out of the tent and then pushes in less enriched oxygen. So you don't have the same effect as being like at altitude, like 4,000 meters, because you don't have the barometric changes in barometric pressure, but you certainly get the oxygen level. Like like right now, we're sleeping at 15.4% oxygen, effective oxygen, and at sea level, it's like 20.9%, 21%. Yeah. So it's quite a difference. So you basically adjust, you know, sleeping at, you know, simulated higher and higher altitudes. Yeah. And these tents are created for people like mountaineers going to Everest. A lot of ultra runners use them for, they live close to the sea level, but they're going to be running a race that's at high altitude. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the chili pad. I know uh, uh, several pad. people have it. Chili, yeah, chili pad's been around for a while. That's like a mattress pad, goes on top of your mattress. You can get them in you know, fairly narrow sizes. So we sleep in a full-size bed. So my wife's got one on her side, and so she can control her temperature. Mm. And then 
Todd Young came out with a newer, Youngblood came out with a newer version that can actually go colder. It's called the Uller. Yeah. Uller.co is that site and chilipad.com. Yeah. And so I've got that on my side. And I mean, I just have it cranked as low as it'll go because I love it cold. <laughs> do you do, do, you do uh, ice bathing as well then or? I don't, in the summer, I don't. We've got a river out front of our house and it stays pretty cool in the summer, but not like super cold. No. I thought about getting like an ice chest that I leave outside. But what I do in the wintertime, I go out, if it's sunny, I go out in the morning. I've got a, a Adirondack chair that faces where the sun rises and I just throw a hat, mittens and uh, stockings on and go out there and sit in shorts and drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. And any other routines that you do then? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of things we do. Like we've been using an earth pulse under our mattress for quite a few years since they first came out. It's a uh, pulsed magnet system. And we found that it really helps with recovery, especially after hard training days. And then we've done multi-day stage races. And so it, the one we have now is his horse solution. It's four magnets. So we each have a pulse magnet under our shoulders and sort of waist height. Mm. And we pulse at the same frequency that the Earth gives out. It's part of what's called a Schumann cycle that he determined. The Earth puts out between 7.2 and 9.6 hertz. The Russians did a ton of research on this. The U.S. government picked it up during the Cold War and, and started playing around with it also. It, they found that it increases a bone regeneration It helps heal wounds quicker. It actually speeds up the Krebs cycle. So it's it's good for your mitochondria. Yeah. So we sleep with that under a bed and it, it works great for us. So that's similar to grounding or? It does have a similar effect to grounding. So it should, I don't think anybody's tested it scientifically, but it should have similar benefits to like, uh, you know, anti sort of uh, non-native EMF. Yeah. So just for people that don't know what grounding is, grounding is basically getting out and touching the ground or some kind of nature because then you get the same electric pulse. Is that correct? Yes, you get you get the pulse from the earth, which we've lost contact with because we wear shoes, drive around in cars and live in houses. But yes, the way Mother Nature expected us to live is we should be sleeping on the bare ground, walking around barefoot. Yeah. Because of that, we're building up positive charge in our body and And it's not good for our biology. <laughs> no, and there's a lot of science coming out about it. It's no longer yes. this woo-woo thing. No, not at all. And uh, as like Jack Cruz points out, and he's exactly right, in a perfect world, you'd go outside, buck naked, every morning, watch the sunrise while standing on the grass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my neighbors would be be looking a bit strange <laughs> if I did that. But. <laughs> I actually heard, I think it was a podcast as well that talked about the thing about getting a sun on your private parts for a man, yes. how that increases your chest well with like, was it 300% or something insane if you do it for 15 minutes, but you don't want yes. to overfry them? Right. And there's quite a, that in, uh, in general, I think for also for women, there is uh, research coming out to show that breast cancer rates are partially due, you know, most likely to women not getting the right light frequencies on their breast tissue. And so women should actually get sunlight bare-chested. I mean, that that would be beneficial. So that's uh, a recommendation for all the female listeners to go yes. uh, topless on the beach going forward? That's right. That's right. Go yeah. to uh, <laughs> the French Riviera. <laughs> yeah, I recommend it. Cool. That's well, right. that's actually, it's an interesting thing. It used to be much more common in uh, in Europe or in Denmark, Scandinavia, right. several years ago when we were more liberal. And, yes. Um, Yeah, but even in the in the privacy of your house, I mean, if you've got some way, even if you you know can put like a cabana in the backyard, and so it's not facing a neighbor, yeah, and just to get even 15 minutes a day, especially in the early morning sunlight, would be hugely beneficial to both men and women. Yeah. Any other routines that you do? We drink magnesium, you know, an hour or so before we go to bed at night, like a hot magnesium drink. Partially, it's because we're both endurance runners, and we there's nothing worse than us stretching in the morning like a cat or a dog would do when you wake up and getting a cramp. Yeah. <laughs> so we found that magnesium helps with that. Uh, How much magnesium? Now, I think it's well, we use natural calm, so I think it's 325 milligrams. 
Okay. Once in a while, you know, I'll take like natural calm, uh, natural uh, stacks has a three types of magnesium formulation that I think is closer to 450 milligrams or 425. But for the most part, it's natural calm. Yeah. We try to stop eating at least two hours before we go to bed. We do cycling of uh, intermittent fasting. We'll just eat breakfast. It's sort of uh, Jason Fung's eat breakfast every day, but don't eat lunch or dinner every other day. So okay. you just kind of go. Yeah. So you might. So one. So you eat, say today, you'd eat just breakfast and not lunch and dinner. And tomorrow you'd eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. And the yeah. next day, just breakfast, you know, skipping like that. And, and why uh, breakfast instead of, so I know a lot of other people, they just eat uh, lunch and dinner well, or just dinner? Yeah, I mean, you've probably seen the graphs of saying like, uh, you know, eat breakfast like a king, you know, and eat lunch like whatever. And then probably, so one of the things that breakfast does, sunlight and food keys our bodies that it's morning. So yeah. it sort of resets our clock, you know, so from a circadian biology standpoint, breakfast is hugely important. So that's why I always eat breakfast, but I might skip lunch and dinner. Interesting, because I know Oli from the Biohack Biohack yeah. Center, he eats huge dinner once a day yes. and that's all. And there's a lot of yeah. people like advocating for the one meal a day. But I also heard that for women, it's not good to skip breakfast in yeah. regards to the hormone balance. Or yeah, some well, women, yeah women are way different. I mean, fasting doesn't have the same benefit for women. I mean, from a biology standpoint, and I hate to say this, it's not to belittle women, but the men were all the hunters. And the women were the, the gatherers. I mean, they stayed close to the, you know, the center of security with the, the kids and whatever. And so they were constantly eating while they were foraging, you know, for food, while the men might be going, you know, days on end trying to, you know, kill some furry beast to bring back without eating. They certainly nibbled a bunch, but they were more, you know, ketogenic than women were. But I, yeah, one thing about Ollie, if you listen to his morning routine, he consumes a lot of like vegetable juices and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's something else going on there. <laughs> I love Ollie, but I think having a breakfast is key, at least for me living in North America. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to try. So I've been doing a little bit of intermediate fasting, but that's skipping breakfast. But yeah. I'll try and just skip dinner instead or dinner yeah. and um, dinner Fine. and lunch. Yeah, if you if you haven't read any of Jason Fung's books or watched any of his podcasts with him, he's an interesting fellow. Yeah. He's from, I think, Toronto. That's where okay. he hangs out. But yeah. fasting is really something I want to get deeper into. Um, we need to find a really good person to interview on that. I think there's so yeah, much coming I, out about it. So um, Yeah, I would I would interview Jason Fung if you can get him on. He's he's pure genius and uh I mean one thing is even doing intermittent, the days that you do a fast, usually your HRV will go right through the roof. Yeah. So even after one day, the other person is Sim. Have you had him on? No, Sim Land. He's out of, yeah, yeah. He's he does a lot of blogging about fasting and whatnot. I think he's more into like the multi-day fast. And yeah. Jason, his belief is, I mean, you still get a lot of the benefits without having to suffer through like five or seven-day fast, water fast. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the human body. Sure, we're capable of doing multi-day fast, but I don't know that it's the benefits are are there for doing multi-day fast. No. Chuck, where do you look for knowledge when you want to learn something new in regards to health? If I have a you know particular talk, topic I'm interested in, I'll either search out who I believe the experts and write them, and you know hopefully they'll answer my questions. Yeah. Or I or I just scour PubMed. And then I just follow, you know, some of these people I've talked about, like Michael Bruce, you know, for circadian, or you know, Matthew Walk for sleep, Andrew Flat and Marco Wiltini for HRV, things like that. And I, I just, you know, find the people I think know the most about it, and I just follow them. And yeah. I don't, you know, take everything they say, you know, seriously. But it's just, it's a, a you know, a point in the, you know, sort of the uh, trajectory. Because not everybody has all, you know, the, everything they say could be a lot of hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, it's not true science or they're connecting science, but the, the connections are weak. Yeah. And so you've got to be careful uh, <laughs> what you believe. And that's another thing. Like, so what's a good advice about being critical in regards to what you read? Like, how do you filter through all of the noise and all of the good recommendations out there to figure out like what, what makes sense to you? Well, I think, I mean... I'm not going to mention names, but a lot of the top health people 
their followers become like sheep. They like blindly follow and hang on every word they provide, which I think is dangerous. Yeah. Everybody should think for themselves. And if somebody says something, you know, spend some time reading about that, whatever it is, from other sources to get a balanced opinion about it and then try it out. I mean, as people say, if you try something, it doesn't work. Stop doing it. Yeah. Try something out. And yeah. so life is like an experiment of one. Try stuff. See if it works. And again, having something like the aura ring allows you to try stuff. And just don't do it one day. It's got to be sustainable. So try something. If you're going to try anything, don't change anything else. Try it for 30 days and look at the results. Are they more positive or negative or neutral? Whatever the case is, they're neutral or negative, stop it. If it's positive, keep doing it. Then try something else. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I think that was a really important question for me to ask as well, especially things Martin Kramer and Dasha has been right. really saying like, you need to talk to Chuck. He really knows <laughs> his stuff. He is, you'll get surprised, but he's one of the people that can go deepest and he, he only speaks about stuff that he really knows. I think that right. should probably have been part of the intro as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I liked that because I found it to be a jungle as well. So I try to interview a lot of experts to kind of, right learn about this stuff but it's hard when you have another full-time job to be able to dig that deep down into these different areas so it's easy like you follow some person and they say something this is the way to do it but um, i've also become much more cautious about what i recommend people so i'm right right i know a lot about psychology but uh, i'm really learning about biology as well and i reference yeah. different people but i always say like so i've heard this and this person say this mm -hmm. and there seems to be research behind this but that's mm -hmm. as That's as much as I know about it. Yeah, right, where right, a lot of yeah. people are kind of like, this is how it is. You should do X. This is amazing. So yeah. I think that's very dangerous because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Right, right. I mean, thankfully, a lot of things aren't going to kill people, but no. uh, they can waste a lot of money uh, taking supplements that they don't need or buying some piece of tech that's not going to help them. Yeah. Uh -huh. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> Chuck, yeah. where can uh, people follow you off? Find more, more information uh, I about don't, you. I used to do a lot of blogging. I mean, if you can find out more about me by going to chuckhazard.com. And that has launch points for my social media and also a blog that I should do more blogging, but I haven't. Yeah. I should pick that up when I have more time. That's the best thing. And then, you know, I encourage people to uh, go to orring.com, spend some time on our blog posts. We've got a lot of good content there and, you know, lots of podcasts on ordering and yeah. Sounds good. Before we round off, any final advice or recommendations? Uh, I think just be your, you know, just be your own scientist, you know, just, you know, you're the best, any, everybody's the, the best person to judge what works and doesn't work for them. So for all these experts, you know, just try stuff. If it doesn't cost you a lot of money, it's worth trying. See if it helps. If it doesn't, stop doing it. Before you invest in any big, expensive monthly subscriptions to supplements or buy some expensive piece of technology, like even a chili pad, do your own research. Talk to a lot of people. Don't just trust the manufacturer that it's going to help you in some way. Yeah, makes sense. And then another question that I forgot to ask. So we know deep sleep is something we have an idea about, but it's still now we understand how we got to the idea of deep sleep. What about REM sleep? How how much do we understand about like how much REM sleep you should get a night? So trying to figure out what happens inside the human brain with a with an actual human that's still alive yeah. is really really tricky and complicated. And so there's a fair bit of research, but I think all of the top brain researchers. And sleep researchers would admit there's still a lot we don't know. Yeah. So they, they can hook up electrodes and see, you know, these different frequencies that your brain is emitting during different phases of sleep. You know, they're, they're quite sure that that's when memory consolidation happens. But unless you could dissect the brain of a live person and figure out some way to get the stored information out of the brain, it's not quite like a hard drive. Yeah, but it's close, but it's different. You know, it's biological hard drive. So, you know, it's, it's tough. And then without going too woo woo, 
there are a few people like Elon Musk that believe, you know, what goes into our brain actually goes out into the ether. Yeah. So there's some bigger storage system out there in the universe. So if that is true, and that's a hypothesis, how the heck would you figure this out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're in a big video game, right? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I saw Elon Musk is coming up with uh, more stuff about his uh, his new companies. Yeah, yeah, his implants. Yeah, no, but I, I, he's not the only one. I've talked to other really smart people that said they're, they're all, and this is going off to a tangent, but it's interesting stuff, that it, thinking that there's sort of a a higher level of storage of information that most people couldn't tap into the stuff that they don't have a direct connection to could explain things like Leonardo da Vinci or Mozart, or kids that are born today that at two years old can play a concert piano without taking lessons. So is it possible that there is like an index into this bigger span of knowledge that some people have some genetic morph that lets them get the index into this database they can then tap into? Uh, like Tesla even. I mean, the guy, the stuff he came up with was unbelievable. <laughs> it's like... Yeah you know, from what was the basis of knowledge or like Leonardo da Vinci. So that could explain some of that. Some people say it's like molecular mimicry or something that it's possible that some of our mitochondria have a bit of memory that could be carried through multiple generations. So I've heard that several pianist, times as well. Yeah, pianist, and then five generations from now, the two-year-old gets the skills out of the mitochondria. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It's fascinating stuff. <laughs> it's super interesting. It's going to be the, the coming years. It's going to be so right. interesting to see how we learn to measure new stuff. And right. also what we believe to be true today that we know in 10 years time was not true. Yeah, it's all going to be out the window. <laughs> <laughs> a lot gonna, of Elon's going to prove that we're in a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Ho hopefully not. He's going to create the video game with the microchips. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so... Um, Yeah. Well, Chuck, it was really a big pleasure to have you on. You definitely lived up to everything that Dasha and Martin and a few other people, Tim as well, recommended yeah. that uh, I talked to you. Good. Thank you so much for your time. I really All appreciate right. it. Cheers. Right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.